What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Deer Vane Podcast. Today, we got on Parker Washa, who has been on the podcast multiple times, good buddy of mine. And um, we're going to be going over a turkey hunt, a successful turkey hunt he had this morning with his brother-in-law, which I hear was a little bit of a rodeo, so it was kind of fun. Um, so we'll hear that one. And then we are going to talk about a um, I had whitetail habitat solutions. So Jeff Sturgis's company, if you've ever seen him on YouTube, um, reached out to them and Dylan lens, who is previously with the breaking point. Now he's kind of doing his own thing. He's got his own company and he's working with Jeff Sturgis. He does all the videography for Jeff Sturgis. And now he's doing consulting with Jeff Sturgis as well. So, um, Jeff has like, I don't know, 70 or 80 properties that he's looking at this year. And Dylan also has like 60 or 70 properties that he's looking at and kind of building out whitetail properties and entry and exit points, food plots, all that kind of fun stuff about a property, um, stand locations, core areas, water holes, all sorts of stuff. So, um, and Parker and I both hunt this property. Uh, and so he wanted to ask me some questions about it as he was unable to, to make the day. And I figured that'd be a good kind of podcast to just talk about all these things. Cause a lot of people, you get to watch all the YouTube videos with Jess Sturgis and, um, and then you, you always want to know like, okay, if I actually call him and pay him the money to come out here, what is he going to tell me that's different than these videos? Right. And so like, I talked to Dylan about it and Dylan's like, yeah, dude, I'll come out there, but all this shit's free online. <laughs> you know? And I was like, I was like, yeah, I know, but it's not like in the context of my property. And he's like, yeah, but if you like, think about it, you could probably just like figure it out. And I was like, are you trying to not, I'm, are you trying to have me not pay you to do this? <laughs> and he was like, no, I'm just, I'm just saying like, I feel like you could figure it out. And I'm like, yeah, but like there's some, there's some food plots that I'm looking at. There's some stand locations. Like I'm not having the success that I want to, or, or my big thing with the property that we have, the playground is like, I don't have like consistent mature bucks, like on camera, it's always like onesie twosies type of thing. And that means they're not like living there. Right. And so I'm like, okay, how do we get deer to live there? And how do I, once they live there, how do I not kick them off? Right. right. That's kind of like that. That's like my thought on there. So anyway, so yeah, I talked Dylan into coming down and yeah, we paid him to come down and do a walk around the, the entire property. We spent a bunch of time, but we'll get into that and all that stuff. Uh, but that's what the podcast is about today. So first of all, diving into Parker's turkey hunt and then rolling into um, a bunch of property management pieces. So if you do have a piece of private ground that you can manage, that you can work on or anything like that. And this does some of these certainly will apply to public land hunters as well. Some of these pieces um, that we looked at, um, because I know like coming from a lot of public hunting, I made a lot of mistakes moving too private in terms of like pushing too far, too deep, too soon type of thing and pushing like out of core areas. Whereas on public, I could hunt more. I, I could just move around and not worry about pushing certain areas. So anyway, Hop into that. Um, and before we start all of that, so for everybody listening, just as a friendly reminder, we do have the Deer Vein Archery Shoot. It's coming up. We're calling it the Playground 3D because uh, that's what we call our land, the playground. Um, so it's the Playground 3D, 15 targets, about two miles of trails, unlimited shooting, lunches provided, dinners provided. Um, lots of people come. Uh, we're having about 50 people coming. 
lots of great people, good fun times, laughs are guaranteed. Um, and it'll just, yeah, it'll be a fun time. We'll have novelty shoots. You, it's unlimited shooting. There will be cash prizes for the winners. And then there will be about 20 to 30 other prizes in general. Last year we had, I just invited friends, people I knew to make sure that we like could run it properly. And this year we're keeping it to 50. Um, so all you strangers out there don't run amok on the property and whatnot. So we're trying to figure that out. I've, I feel like I'm more worried about my own friends running amok on the property than, than I am, than I am strangers. But, uh, but yeah, so we're having about 50 people out. And last year, I think everybody left with the prize. I think I bought like 30 some prizes and everybody there at the end left with a prize. So had 30 friends out last year and it, it went really well. So we're doing it again this year. Again, that's June 11th. If you look up on Instagram, you can find it. Um, it's just outside of Dodgeville, Wisconsin. It's from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. or until we finish drinking, whatever. Um, and there is a campground about a mile down the road. So if you're wanting to spend the night, not a problem at all. Um, there's, there's, it's really cheap. I think it's like 14 bucks a night in this campground or something. So nothing super expensive. All right. And there is a hotel down the road too. Again, outside of Dodgeville. And if you don't have Instagram, um, you can't look me up there or anything like that, then just email me. It's Heller a nine zero at Gmail. I'll put this in the show notes, Heller a nine zero at gmail.com. And I will get you all the details and everything. It is 40 bucks. That's the other thing. It's 40 bucks. But again, it covers your lunch, covers your dinner, and then also all the shooting that you can have. And then also you will have probably you got a 50 50 shot of walking away with something that's worth about $20 anyway. So, um, so yeah, that's it. Anything to add there, Parker? Did you have a good time last year at the shoot? Oh, it was awesome. Yeah. Fantastic. Ter terribly warm weather at the, the weekend that we had, and there were some crazy uh, nearby tornadoes and stuff. But even then, it was still a blast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was wild. So we have, yeah, the property has a cabin on it. Um, and the cabin does not have a basement or anything. And we're all sitting around and all of a sudden the wind started picking up and then like the tornado sirens started going. And then we literally saw a tornado. I don't know. You could just see it way in the distance. And it was like, Oh shit. Like there's a freaking tornado. Like what would we even do? Like out here. Right. And then there was clouds like right above us that yeah. were just spinning. It was like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> right. Getting her get going. Yeah. No, that was funny. A bunch of drunk dudes sitting around watching tornado. I'm like, oh, well, this might actually happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Type of thing. So no, it was a good time. Yeah. All right. Well, with all that, um, let's hop into let's hop into um the turkey hunt. I don't, yeah, I don't, we don't have to do any sponsorship stuff today. Yeah, let's just roll into turkey hunt. So you and and Dylon were out there this weekend, right? Yeah. Yep. It's the First, yeah, first weekend of Wisconsin season, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he uh, he had the tag. I was just along for the ride, kind of doing some of the calling. And it was kind of strange weather for whatever this is. What is this? April 20, the 24th today. Yesterday, it was almost 80 degrees and probably like steady 30 mile an hour winds out by us <laughs> and gusting well north of that, which made it interesting. It was 
I don't know. They they actually were gobbling more than I was expecting early in the morning. Yeah. But after like seven, seven thirty in the morning, didn't hear a single gobble the rest of the day. I mean, due to wind and just not being able to hear or them just actually not gobbling, I don't know. But right. but early on they were they were gobbling a lot. It was it was fun, but we also Apparently picked a bad spot because we had nothing within like 300 yards of us gobbling. <laughs> <laughs> but we kind of, we stuck it out because we knew it was a spot that they tend to gravitate to, you know, as the morning progresses. And we did have, we had a lone Tom come in at like six, probably 645. When is it? What time? Like, so I have V season. So I have next, I have this week, essentially. Yep. I haven't even looked at what time it gets light. Is it like five o'clock? Are you out there at five? We, yeah. If you're out there at five, you're, you're before it's light, before gray light. The first morning we were walking across the field at probably like 530. And that was a little bit late, but we knew we were pretty safe just where we figured the birds were. Okay. But this morning we, we were going in pretty tight on one. So we left earlier. Yeah. We were going across the field at probably like 10 after five. Okay. Did you pre, did you like roost birds on Friday or no? I'm trying to think now. I know I got there at a good time. It was kind of rainy. It was. Yeah. Yeah. No, we didn't, uh, we didn't roost any, but we, we were, <laughs> we were actually sitting at the cabin and he had got a new 22. So we were sighting it in and was on my way inside to go grab a couple of beers and <laughs> looked out in the field like above the sanctuary area so like 500 yards away and there was a whole flock of them out there so we just like dropped everything and made a made a quick dash and just tried to we we they were either going to go towards the bluff or the sanctuary and they were basically right in the middle and instead of waiting to find out we basically just picked the bluff and Joe's wrong because by the time we got up there, they were gone, or they saw us, or busted us, or whatever. But they were long gone. But we, but we figured they went towards the sanctuary, so that's where we went Saturday morning, just okay with that in mind at least. Yeah, but uh, yeah, otherwise no. We it was windy and rainy. We didn't hear any gobbling Friday night or anything. Okay. But um, Saturday morning, had the lone tom come in. He came in quiet and then got like. 80 yards away and let out a gobble out in the middle of the field. And then he just kind of sat there for a minute and turned and walked the opposite direction. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> Were you calling? A little bit, but it was so windy. I, I wasn't going crazy. I was just kind of doing some softer, softer putts and clucks with the slate call. Yeah. Once, once we saw that one, at least early on, I was, letting out some louder mouth calls but yeah that was it. so do you um, think he could have he could have heard like one or two of those mouth calls and kind of kind of meandered his way over to investigate it, it's possible otherwise i mean like i say that's kind of an area that i feel like they gravitate to naturally it's like a it's like a big point that juts out into call it three big fields right so they kind of like wrap around that point pretty regularly right. just to check out the other fields. So whether, whether he heard me or he was just naturally coming to do his thing, I'm not sure. Gotcha. But 
he left and then half an hour later and in the meantime we had one gobbling coming closer and i mean within like 150 maybe 200 yards and he eventually went quiet and then we looked out in the field kind of where that what we first saw the other one and there was a tom and a jake standing out there just pecking away eating and they never gobbled never nothing just kept working and eventually went back where into the sanctuary where they came from it's like well whatever so <laughs> we just started at that point we just started moving kind of just trying to find some yeah but it's it's it was actually the hardest part was it's still it's not greened up like at all so walking walking through the woods you're very exposed and we we had it happen to us many many times throughout the whole weekend we're just kind of walking along real slow and then all of a sudden you hear a warning putt 150 yards ahead and you hear it putting away uh, you never you, you never even see the thing all of a sudden i mean they they scoped you out but right it was, it was tough because like we were we weren't even getting a chance really like you couldn't even get to the edges of the fields to you know, scope out the fields because by the time you'd get there, they'd probably already seen you. It's like, right. And there's, yeah, there's scooting, o, scooting away. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah. that made it tough, but, uh, yeah, and the wind, the wind wouldn't help a lot. With, with not like, when it was here. that, I mean, it's just little twigs blowing around, you know, there's not right. enough leaves to kind of break us up. Right. Cause you're kind of moving through the bottoms, right? Right. Right. Yeah, you're not up on there because it was blowing really, really strong. Like you were saying, like 30 miles and up on top, but down in these like bottoms and these gullies and stuff like that. Yeah, it would calm down your stuff and move around and whatnot. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. I'm trying to set the. I know exactly where you're yeah. walking, walking and talking. I'm trying <laughs> to set the stage for, for people listening. Yeah, this is bluff country. It's like playground, right? So driftless area. Very, very hilly, pretty steep hills in some spots, fields on top. And we have some valleys that are wide enough where there's fields in the bottom too. But most of the time it's just fields on top. But uh, yeah, we kind of spent all the Saturday just screwing up basically. And we were finding, we were finding birds. They were out and it seemed like the numbers were decent. And there was a couple times we just kind of hopped on the side-by-side and drove around and checked out a few spots. And we were busting up birds out in the middle of the, of the ridgetop fields with that, with that wind, which we were really surprised about. We thought everything was going to kind of hunker down low. But um, kind of after checking it out, even in those upper fields, a lot of times where the birds were, were just in a slight little like low spot where once you're in it, the wind was actually significantly lower than basically most of the rest of the field, right? Gotcha. So, even though they were in the upper fields with that wind, they were still finding the spots where it wasn't too bad. But they were not They were not down in the bottoms. We never saw a single turkey down in the bottom fields. And a couple times we bumped into some in the woods. But like I say, that was those were the ones that you basically hear them putting away, running away. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Were yeah. the were the ones in the woods? Were they close to the field tops, or not no. necessarily? They're close to op- more open areas in the woods. Like 
know, like the wet pond, right? Like it's like yeah. a grassy area inside of the woods with a couple four wheel tra trails running. Gotcha. No, so I'm they just were, they were, could relate like the the birds that you saw to the top of the fields, like where the bot, like I mean, you say the bottoms were just dead. And my thought here is like if somebody else is hunting bluff country and they're like in the bottoms, it's like. Right, we're not really seeing a whole lot like then we're going to the tops or if you're in the tops and they're not there then it's like okay they're in the bottoms they're somewhere down below and like i'm curious if that's what you were like it sounds like that's what you were experiencing it's yeah i mean it's, it's hard to say they were definitely up high they're definitely up high but the thing too when when they're in the bottoms is they see you coming from even farther away a lot of times so you gotta really kind of be on your a game if you want to spot them yeah. first and then like i say it was open enough that even if we did spot them i don't know if we would have been able to do anything about it right yeah yeah and uh the other thing would be would have been really nice if they were gobbling obviously and you're like wow. all right yeah. there is one around this point like exactly take your time yep. Yep. Yeah, just, you're never gonna you're never just gonna take fight. just taking the gun for a walk basically all day saturday <laughs> and uh, so towards the end of the night, it was probably seven o'clock, we went for a drive. And on our way back, we just pulled into a little knobby point that overlooks a big field, the tenure field. And there was two toms out in the far corner, um, heading towards like the rock pile, basically. And they, uh, they hung out somehow. I don't know how they didn't spook. We drove the ATV or the side-by-side, -side, right, almost to the edge of the field. And they just sat there and kind of watched us, and one would puff up just for, like, a second and then puff, like, let it down. And they did not seem spooked at all, and they just slowly walked into the woods, and we figured they were going to roost somewhere in that area, right? Yeah. So, and that was a, a particular area that we'd encountered birds multiple times on Saturday. <laughs> So we were we were already kind of planning to hunt somewhere over there, but then seeing those two, it kind of just solidified it for us, right? We were going to head right to that corner. So that's what we did this morning. Um, it had rained a bunch over the night. It was a sloppy, greasy mess, and we uh, we basically I wanted to stay about like fifty to seventy five yards from that corner because there's another little ditch that sometimes they pop out of farther away from that corner so i kind of wanted to split the difference but we couldn't really find a good spot and of course it was dark too so we didn't, couldn't really see what we were doing but just ended up working towards that corner far like and eventually i mean i put the decoys out like 30 yards from the corner and then we basically sat in the corner and we were kind of is this the corner by the pink caddy or the corner by the four-wheel trail by the, the opposite one of the pink caddy up dry dam side dry dam like side. where, where okay. the old wood ladder stand was yeah okay gotcha and um we were kind of like found like an okay spot to set up but we didn't love it and it's like oh should we move should we stay here what should we do and like 75 yards away this tom gobbles up in a tree we're like yep we're staying right here so we just kind of hunkered down and we had to tuck into the woods a little farther just to like get cover and where we set up we couldn't even see the decoys it was basically like 
we were banking on that bird and that was it. And uh, a bunch of birds were talking, they were gobbling really good, kind of farther away, like two, 300 yards. And then just this one was gobbling close. But we just focused on him. I didn't even call, I didn't call at all until I heard from across the valley, I heard some hens do like a cackle fly down kind of thing. And then they started yelping a bit. And it was windy enough that like, I wasn't sure if we were gonna able to hear him fly down and we couldn't see him. It was thick enough that like, we had a pretty good idea where he was, but couldn't lay eyes on him. And I thought he might've flown down because all of a sudden his gobble sounded very different. I think he actually just spun in the tree and was gobbling towards those hens, which were behind us. So all of a sudden his gobble was louder, right? So I started just doing some real soft putts and some purrs. I didn't ever yelp. And he kept gobbling and I would just call every once in a while. And then he, it just got, it never changed after that. Right. So we figured he was still in the tree. And so I stopped calling and just waited, waited. And at like 10 after six, we heard him and saw him fly down. He basically dropped straight down. And there's, there's the four wheel trail for some reason actually like splits right there and it pops out there the where they both pop out in the field is only a 10 yard difference right like one's up the hill 10 yards the other one's at the bottom of the hill and we weren't sure which one of those he was going to take because it sounded like he was basically at the split and how we'd set up dylan actually had like a little tree that prevented like easy transitioning to both of those trails for aiming with his gun yeah so it was basically like he had to pick one and then if he popped it on the other one we were maybe going to be in trouble <laughs> so he picked the, he picked the high one and he kind of he didn't talk after he flew down so we weren't really sure what he was going to do never like heard him strut or anything we knew it was close and all of a sudden I heard Dylan just kind of like whisper something and I didn't really hear what he said, but then I heard him click his safety off and like start aiming. I was like, okay. And, and he was kind of set up in front of me where I couldn't really see around him. And I just like leaned my head out around him and that bird was standing right at the entrance of that four wheeler trail, basically like 35 yards. And he shot and the bird went right down. He, pile drived it basically yeah and started kind of you know flapping around it's like all right sweet you know we're done before 615 or 620 or whatever it was and all of a sudden the thing got up and just started running <laughs> running <laughs> up the up the hill straight away from us and i was like shoot him again you know and he he tried to put another round in and his gun like jammed he basically couldn't get another so he was fumbling around with his gun Finally got another round in, and then the thing probably like 75, 80 yards away, and he dumped another shot at it, and the thing kind of like flinched and just kept trucking. So then I'm like, oh, like you gotta run after the thing. Right. And so it turned into this like sprint up this muddy, greasy soybean field, right? That was it was just a hip, like a hip flexor's nightmare, basically, as we're trying to get up this hill. And he's about 10 yards ahead of me and he's kind of about to crest the hill and he starts like stalking over. I'm like, no, like 
No, <laughs> you got to catch up to the thing. And he gets to where he can see over and all of a sudden he's aiming and he's like, should I shoot? And I can't see what the heck's going on. And I'm like, yeah. Like, <laughs> and he shoots and I guess it was a far shot and the thing, yeah, like was through a bunch of brush. And, he, and at that point, then he's like, he just like almost collapsed to the ground. Dylan? Um, yeah. <laughs> and then I like stopped. I was like, is he dead? Like, I thought he folded him up or something, you know? And he, like, can't talk. He's out of breath. I'm like, I'm like, dude, like, do I need to keep going? Like, what's going on here? And he just points. He just points, like, the direction that the bird went. And I'm like, like, okay, like, is he dead? Is he alive? Like, what is happening? So I keep going. And then meanwhile, he's going, I'm out of bullets. <laughs> <laughs> okay so i take it he's not dead and i crest the hill and i don't i don't see anything like there's nothing i found one little turkey feather basically in the road that like i don't know if this is where he was when he shot at him i don't know if he just dropped this randomly i don't even know if this is from him so i just picked a trail kind of the direction that he was pointing and followed it into the woods and meanwhile he catches up and we're like body searching for this thing and we reconvene and it's like what the heck like no clue like can't find the thing what the heck like no clue is it dead is it not yeah. and then i'm like you know the hard the hardest part about if this ever happens is like they'll crawl into a little brush pile and just lay there and they blend in like real good you know so we kind of just body searched for a while and we were going to walk back and like look for tracks or like, you know, anything basically. And all of a sudden he looks over and right off the field edge, the thing is tucked into a little batch of <laughs> multi-flower rows, just laying there. And it kind of like had its head up and, and he kind of, Dylan kind of like jumped back. <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, dude, we got to, you got to jump on it. Like you got to do something. You don't want him to run away. Right. And he's like, I'm not like, dude, I'm not jumping on it. The thing's going to spur me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like we, we have to, like, what do you, you have to use your gut. Like your gun just became a baseball bat. Right. Right. And, uh, eventually he's like, no, I'm just going to go get more ammo. And I thought, I didn't know, like, I thought he had to go back to the cabin to get more ammo. I'm like, okay, <laughs> like I'll just wait and watch and make sure it doesn't run away, I guess. Cause I didn't want to go in on one side of the brush pile and have the thing bust out the other side and right. keep running. It's a two man game and Dylan wasn't willing to play. He was not interested in going in. Yeah. <laughs> so, so he ran back to where we initially were set up and he had, he left his turkey vest there and they, he had more ammo than that. Ah. Okay. So came back, finished it off. And that was it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. It was, uh, a, yeah, it was a little bit of a rodeo. <laughs> Dylan's a ride of Dylan's like one of those guys that's like, on the opening day of bow season, you'd be like, Dylan, if a forky comes in, you got to shoot it. And it'll be like, 
I don't know. I mean, if he stops at 20 yards, he might get an arrow. You know, he's kind of just one of those goofballs that are like yeah. that. And uh, yes. I can only imagine how how funny it was. I, I could easily see him just like out of breath, like pointing. I mean, we all have those friends who are just kind of goofballs and you're just like, dude, are you for real right now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was a bit, it was, there was a lot of, interesting emotions going through my head it's like i have no clue what where the bird went <laughs> like, right. you can't you can't communicate with me so <laughs> i'm just leaving you here <laughs> right oh my god is that did, did you talk about getting in shape after that was he like oh man i, gotta get <laughs> I mean the guy the guy's in pretty good shape i mean he he hugs yeah. the hills and he exercises regular and he just put a hundred percent into getting up that hill and when he got to the top the gas tank was empty. <laughs> oh, man. Well, good. I'm glad you guys at least found the bird. That's one of those things. A lot of people don't find those birds, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I mean, they just like they roll them or something. Remember that there's always that story you told me about your dad shooting that one, rolled it twice, like yeah. flipped it over and then it got up and running, went running. Yeah. He flipped it over again and it laid there. And then he got up to go get it and it just took off and went running. <laughs> And that exactly. one flew off into nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. And that one flew off. So it's like, you're, unless you see exactly where it lands, you got nothing to go off. Right. And I've seen it with, I mean, people bow hunting too. You stick them with an arrow and if they fly off, especially if you're in the woods, you're just like, uh, I don't even know where to start looking. Right. <laughs> yeah. We're you looking for an airmail blood trail here. <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> oh man yeah well no i mean i think that's the the well the lesson there's a couple of good good points out of all that which would be the first one is is obviously if you roll that thing like and i and i remember you told me this like i'm not, i'm never a big turkey hunter i think i think you started turkey hunting with me yeah i think you're the one who taught me most of it and you're just like okay if you shoot one you get up and go go get it like you go after it right away. I was like, really? You're like, yes. Cause they will get up and they will run or they will fly. And if you roll that thing at 35 yards and you turn around and high five me and you look back and that thing's now at 45 yards in the air, like it's gone. <laughs> it's gone. Yeah. So yeah. Like, oh, don't like you shoot that thing and make sure it's dead. Right. I mean, I've even had it where you, you kill them dead or dead. And if they're on like a field edge or something and they start just flapping just their nerves and get into the woods if you don't pay attention then you go look for the things and they can just end up in weird spots and covered up with sticks or leaves or whatever and they're hard to find they are <laughs> you got like a 10 yard circle where you know it's right here somewhere and sometimes it takes <laughs> five minutes to find the thing it's like what the heck yeah no, I, I hear you. I hear you. And that was like, uh, Riley shot his bird this year. Um, Riley shot a pretty nice one, um, right on a field edge and it went like 20, 30 yards and it's, it did not have most of its head, you know? And he was like, dude, if that thing would have got into the woods, like, and it went, uh, cause he was right on a field edge, you know, 30 yards is not, I mean, that's a long ways when they're flapping through there. And if they don't leave some sort of trail or something like that, like, you know yeah weird, weird stuff happens 
Mm-hmm. So why, um, if if those hens were behind you, like and and setting the stage for everybody here, like there's Parker's on the top of this uh, this ridge field. Okay, it it spans the top of a ridge and it's like a hump, right? And and there's like a spine and there's two sides of it and the field is on both sides of this like spine. And the field itself is like, I don't know, 500 yards long. And it's probably like 150 yards wide, right? Mm -hmm. Probably, yeah. And you got the spine going right down the middle, essentially at 75 yards. So they're in one side looking up, one corner of it looking up back towards the spine and there's a valley, like a little creek bottom behind them, about another 80 yards down, further down the hill. And then it goes back up the hill, another like 100 yards. And then you're up at a new different field edge, right? Yes. A totally different field. So like there's hens on that far side behind you, like 100 yards behind you or whatever. And they're yelping. And you got a turkey out in front of you, 75 yards up on the top of the spine, kind of. Why aren't you like yelping at all back at them? Like, did you obviously you purposely like did some putts and some purrs at them rather than yelp at them? Was there a reason for that? Yeah, I was I was actually really nervous to call just with how close we were to him. I figured I figured he knew who was roosted near him, right? And I didn't want to before fly down start yelping just we didn't, we didn't need him to gobble, right? He was already gobbling on his own. He knew pretty much where he was. So really the, there was no purpose of me yelling. I didn't need to inform him. I didn't want to inform him that we were there because I figured it could actually scare him and it could get attention on us where, you know, he has that elevated position up in the roost and above the hill on us where like maybe he'd be able to see us. So I just waited. And once I knew some turkeys were down, I kind of wanted to simulate being one of those hens that crept up to the field. And now here I am at the field edge. You know, I, I heard you gobbling up there. Sounded come good. Get, come get me. <laughs> <laughs> right. No, that's a, that's a really good, you know, you brought up, that's something I haven't ever really thought about until just now, but you bring up a good point in the sense of, he probably knows where everybody is. Cause when they fly up at night and if you're ever out there roosting or you're deer hunting and you hear it, like, you know, like, okay, yep. there are eight turkeys over in this patch of trees over here. Cause I heard them all get up there and they're loud as shit. And if yep. he's up there and, and he didn't hear anybody else in the entire area, get up there. And even, even at night, once they're up in the trees, sometimes they will putt and purr and yelp and, and he'll gobble and stuff like that. Even in the evenings, and if he's not hearing shit and then all of a sudden, like before fly down, he's here and he yelped like right where there was never anything for the last, you know, 12 hours of darkness. Right. That in right, his, that's in his zone. <laughs> yeah. He, 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 I would be concerned. Right. Yeah. I yeah. mean, you go to bed in a hotel room and, and you, you hear, you hear something a bed over and there was never anybody in that bed. Exactly. Like, that's creepy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. I was actually once we were set up, I was kind of kicking myself about even having the decoys out. Cause I was like, I don't know what his visibility is of the field. And if all of a sudden it's cracking light out and there's already two turkeys in the field that probably shouldn't be there quite yet. 
I was kind of like, oh man, like, but I'm not about to crawl back out there and get him now knowing that he's here and he's awake, officially awake. <laughs> right. So I kind of just was like crossing my fingers on that one. But uh, if I would have known he was there before I put, before I'd set the decoys out, I would not have set the decoys. Just, okay. Yeah, that's a great point too. And that's just because then, like, I mean, if he looks over at the ass crack it on and he's like, why are you out there already? You shouldn't be out there. Exactly. Like, and then that's another turnoff. Like, okay, that's right. fake, right? right? Not gonna go that way. All right. And he's staying in the tree for another half an hour. And meanwhile, those, those decoys don't budge. <laughs> so right. it's like just, you know, potential warning flags for, for him. I don't know if the brain power is big enough to make those connections or not, but. <laughs> Uh, it seems like some days, some days they're smarter than any human that's ever lived. And other days they're dumber than a worm. Like yeah, you wonder how they can survive. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, and no, those are great. Those are great points and great tips because if you're on, like if you're on birds and you're really close and I've done this where I've been really close to birds um, and I haven't set up decoys, not because, I'm choosing to, but because I literally just didn't bring the decoys and it, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But if, if you're on birds really early in the morning and you're on a field, like, like you might want to not put out your decoys, especially mm -hmm. if you think they're going to fly down into that field, because obviously like if they're not supposed to be there yet, right. they could turn them off. And then also calling too. Cause I remember one time, I did call to some toms and some trees and one of my buddies was like, what the hell are you doing? Why would you call to them? They're still in the trees. And I was like, well, I just kind of want to let them know I'm over here. And I was <laughs> further away. It was in a really long Valley. It was over at Jake Daly's. Okay, and, yeah. and it was like, these birds were like 150 to 200 yards away, but you know, and I never thought about like why would or why wouldn't be calling but I know that those birds did fly down and they did come over and we didn't have any decoys. And so they, they kind of turned around and I think that's why they, they came over, they got to like 80 yards and they kind of puffed up, looked around, looked around, didn't see anything. It was early season again. And they turned around and walked away. So <laughs> I think that's what happened. So then I was like, Oh, I always need decoys now. So yes. maybe it's like the a thought would be like, if you're in within like a hundred yards or 150 yards, or depending on visibility of those decoys, you may not want to place them. Right, right. Yeah, it's tough. It's so situational. Like you could like have you don't put them out, and oh. then they, then he flies over the other side of the hill, and then later in the morning he comes back while you're trying to stick them out there. Yep. You know, yeah, exactly, exactly. Basically, whatever decision you make, <laughs> you're always gonna regret it and wish you did the other thing <laughs> until it works out. Until it, yeah, until it officially works. Awesome. Yeah. No, that's, that's the truth until it actually works. Yeah. Even last year, I was questioning it the whole time. Uh, I, when I killed my Tom, I set up the decoy. There was just a real slight bump in this hill. He was, the turkey was on one side and I was on the other. And it was like, literally, so you stand up and you can see everything you got. I crawled into the whole thing, the whole way. Yeah, and I set yeah. the decoys up and I like put my head at eye level of decoys and I could not see over the hump. So it's like yeah. two foot hump pretty much is what it was. And after I set them up, I like tucked into the woods 
And I was just like, oh man, it's like, and I called to him. I gave him a couple yelps and, um, and then I didn't call at all. I just gave him a few, let him know I was there. And all he was, was just spinning around in this little spot, you know? And, um, and I was like, well, maybe he'll come. And it took him 45 minutes to close like 40 yards, mm-hmm. but he did, you know, curiosity got the best of him. He came over that little hump and that's where I was set up. So he came over, saw him and I shot him. So, yeah. but, um, but yeah. Yeah, I guess it would probably depend on visibility, a lot on visibility of those decoys from the roost, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And one of the other things that that I think is important to, to note is the variance in roost trees, right? Like there's some people that I've talked to who are like, the, the turkeys always roost here. And then like you go there and they, they're not there, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's just like a light, it's like a likelihood thing. The roost trees can vary all the time. yeah i think that's very property dependent right like sure yeah yeah. behind behind my parents house i'd be willing to bet a lot of money on about 10 trees in one small area that they're gonna be there every night at the at the ranch probably at the playground it's like there's so many options for them that i wouldn't bet anything on any tree basically <laughs> versus behind the house it's it's marsh right there's a lot of marsh there's a lot of aspen popples whatever you want to call them that just don't have roosting branches and then there's a couple of great big cottonwoods with just perfect horizontal branches for them and they're there every night <laughs> they're there yep no that makes sense all right any other uh, i'm just thinking any other thoughts to that to that turkey hunt you know get up chase your bird um then the decoys and the yelping and all that jazz other than that i mean persistence being in the yeah. woods yeah that's exactly it and i know like dylan dylan's a very impatient guy i think we we probably could have killed a bird on saturday if we just sat sat tight picked a spot and stuck with it you know till 10 or 11 a.m. But come eight o'clock, nothing's talking. You know, you're you just saw a couple of birds that were just completely uninterested in what you had going on. We just started moving, you know. And then we quickly learned that moving was not working. <laughs> so at that at that point, we should have just picked another spot and hung out, right? Yeah, but we didn't. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I mean, that's the fun to me. That's the fun part of turkey hunting is like, it's yeah. not like deer hunting. You don't have to sit and wait. You get to run and gun. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, good strategy is to sit and wait. <laughs> when they're not talking, it's tough. All right. Well, awesome. So wrapping that up, let's roll into the, um, the whitetail habitat solutions consult that I got with Dylan lens. Um, so again, for everybody, uh, I talked about this right at the front end, but, um, I, I had Dylan come out. We spent nine hours walking a hundred, a hundred acre property. So we did four hours at the beginning of the day. And then we did five hours in the evening. And well, I wouldn't say it was, I guess it was, the first hour was just talking about what our goals were, what the property looked like, what we knew about the property already, what we were willing to do, what we were not willing to do, um, where we had access from, uh, a lot of questions about the neighbors and their hunting styles. 
So um, it was a lot of good, just like info that he was trying to grab on the front end. And then we did have, um, we also talked about um, the CRP a lot. So we have newly enrolled CRP that's starting this year. So he asked a lot about what we can and cannot plant in that CRP. So we actually got the guy from the DNR, I forget, or forestry. I don't even know who runs it, but my dad gave him a call. I was myself, my dad, uh, one of his buddies, Craig, and then um, Riley. So we were all there and, and Rod called the, um, the forester, the CRP guy. I forget who actually runs the whole thing, but, um, and talked to him and he said we could plant, Dylan wanted to know specifically if we could put any sort of clover or food plot mix within the CRP seed. Like what was, what were all the percentages we had to, we had to meet. And then also what was the rule for switchgrass? So, cause his, his uh, experience has been like the it's blue, blue something grass and like blue short grass, or I forget what it is, but there's uh, the few grasses that were in there are they that are a little bit harder to take and they don't provide a lot of cover over the winter. Um, they're pretty thin and sparse. And once you get produce some pretty strong winter, so Dylan wanted to get some switchgrass in there, which obviously is taller, thicker, holds better, holds up better in the winter, but it's also not, I don't know if it's, I don't know if switchgrass is native or not. It's, I think it is. I don't know. Do you know, do you have any idea? I'm not sure. No. Okay. Cause I know the, the C purpose of the CRP is to replace native Right. native grasses um and we had like warm season grasses or something like that i don't know i'm not a botanist or plant dude or anything like that i and i haven't paid attention my dad's been doing everything for that which is really bad that i should i should pay attention to this more but i know like they're like no you have to plant this so why why do i my in my mind i'm like i don't need to think about it because i can't do anything about it anyway right. whatever right. it's grass now it's not going to be a food plot and it's not going to be corn or soybean grass okay so like that's that's my thought process there but anyway so yeah dylan wanted to know about the switchgrass and then after that yeah it was literally just like we walked half the property came back had lunch talked a little bit and then walked the other half of the property and then came back and then dylan spent probably like 45 minutes drawing up this map which i'm um, i'm sharing with parker right now we're both looking at this map of the property um and then we talk through it for probably another half hour. And then, and then we all, you know, over beers and shot the shit and made some jokes. And then we all kind of took off because we all had to head home. And that was about like six, six thirty, something like that. So it was a great, I, it was a great experience overall. I would, it was, it was a lot of money is 2,500 bucks. So certainly like not cheap. Um, but it was, I think it's going to, I think $2,500 for the next 10 to 15 years of our property. I think that's how I'm looking at it. Not as it's not a one-time thing that I'm going to have them do every year. Right. It's like, I need to make some decisions on this that are going to, that are going to lapse 10 to 15 years for time frame, especially with the CRP stuff. It's guaranteed for the next 10 years. So we needed to make some decisions on how to do this go moving forward so that we had a proper game plan. We knew what we wanted to do and we knew how we were going to go forward. 
and some of these uh, recommendations that I was thinking about personally were going to eat away at some older trees, some 50, 60, 70, 80 year old trees. And it's like, okay, are we going to cut these down or not? These, you can't grow these back tomorrow. So that was the other big thought in my mind was I want to make sure some of these decisions that we're going to make are validated by somebody else who does this for a living. So that was, that was my whole thought process there. And yeah. And then we just went and, and walked and walked and, and so what Dylan has provided and what Parker and I are looking at here is a map of our property and it has little red circles all over the place that are numbered. And those are all tree stands. And then it also has some orange lines, which are deer trails, like expected deer trail travel routes. It has some green, uh, like odd shapes in it. And those are food plots. And then it has yellow lines where we, where he would really like us to plant switchgrass. It has blue dots where he'd like us to put water holes. And then it has kind of like a faded orange over these large areas where he would, where he considers core areas. And those are areas that we should never hunt. We shouldn't go into really. We need to stay on the outside of those and let the deer like own that space. So that's kind of, um, that's, that's what he's broken down for us there. He did say that there were a few other areas, um, a few other things that he would recommend, like uh, on our property, um, he's after walking, he's like, I'm not going to recommend any sort of bedding improvement at all. No hinge cutting, no bedding improvement or anything like you have plenty of it. Most people, he said, most properties I look at are mature timber and or pine or some sort of some sort of open understory. And he's like, you guys, and you know it, like you guys have plenty of cover. So I'm not going to recommend anything like that. And there was one spot that I wanted to, where I was like, should I thicken this up? And he's like, no, 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 leave this be. Like you could pull out some of the invasives if you wanted to, but I would leave this be. Um, no issues there. And that's the knob. I thought about trying to thicken up a, a section of the knob more on the West side. So it would, it would hold more deer over a longer spance. And he was like, no, you don't need to, nope, don't worry about that at all. So, so yeah. Um, and then he did suggest purchasing, trying to buy some crops from our neighbors um, as well. So, um, and by that, he means like essentially let them plant and then just say, hey, you know, if you want to leave three acres of soybeans standing, I'll give you X amount of dollars to just leave them standing. Don't pick them, leave them as is. So that's, that was another thought um, that he had. So um, yeah, that's kind of the outline of the whole map. And I've had a couple of buddies ask me about it. Parker's asked me about it a little bit. And I, so I said, Hey, why don't we just get on a podcast and talk about it? And that way, um, like we said earlier, like, I'm sure there's a lot of questions about like, okay, what does, what's different from watching the YouTube videos than having them be in person. Right. So anyway, have from there, I guess you can fire away Parker and I'll explain to the depth that I can for what mm -hmm. some of these recommendations are. But, um, overall, like I said, we're, the reason I had him come out and I thought it was worth the money was mainly because we're developing a plan for the next 10 to 15 years 
I've tried to do it myself for the last three seasons and I haven't had as much success in seeing I've had opportunities a hundred percent. I've had three to four opportunities per year, but the opportunities were always during the rut and they seemed a little random, more or less like just putting time in the woods and it's going to happen and less like strategic. And I'd rather, I'd rather have more of a plan than the randomness of the rut. So that was, that was my thought. And, and, with what we talked about and what we have going on and all the work I have in front of me, like I have work that'll take me two years anyway, um, mm-hmm. just to get this stuff going. But um, I think, I mean, it, everything that he talks about and, and what we walked through made a lot of sense. And some of the mistakes I was making can be easily corrected. Um, and there were some things that he was like, well, why wouldn't you do this? Like, this is, I would put something here. Why wouldn't you put something here? And I told him why. And then he goes, okay, well, yeah, that makes sense. Let's not put something here. I didn't know that the deer used this area this way type of thing. So anyway, yeah, with that, um, yeah, shoot away. Yeah. No, I mean, just looking over it, I like it. I like the, like the whole like layout, right? Like how we, how we basically put this map together. The thing that actually I was most surprised with and realistically kind of makes the most sense is the whole purchasing the neighboring crops deal (laughs) right like yeah it's so theoretically you know so easy and it's not it's not even on your property like you don't have to do anything you just throw the dude some cash hopefully right and right and he's good with it. And he's not like asking you to leave a 40 acre chunk. It's like, yeah, a couple acres here, a couple acres here, just enough to kind of influence. And then I can see, I mean, it looks like he kind of thought about food plots with those food, food sources in mind then. Right. Uh, hundred percent. So two things about that would be in purchasing the neighbor's property Rod said, well, why don't we just purchase a big strip of it? That way they'll work down that strip, start on one end and work down the other end of it. We can purchase it kind of along the tree line. So they're closer, like in range. And Dylan, Dylan's point to that was, well, for the most part, the deer are going to pick away at all the corn along and the soybeans along the tree line already anyway. So if you Mm -hmm. bought a big strip like that, you might be buying soybeans that are already eaten. Right. By, by October, there's nothing left. Hardly. Right. He's like, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. Like you, yeah. that's a bad idea. He goes, you want to, you want to purchase, if you purchase, purchase in a big blob that, that gives them the ability to enter. Like you want to purchase some along the tree line, but have it extend out into the field so right. that like, it's not picked over and they'll, and that will give them that will give the deer an entry point into that standing corn or into that soybean. And then they'll work out into that field. So you can still hunt that entry point. It's just now you don't have entry points that are, you know, hundred yards long. Right. Right. right? So yeah, that was, I like that. and the other, yeah, the other thing was that um, the food plots were designed in, they were like, okay, here is the evening food source. Is this ag field that, that whether you purchase standing crop or not, they're going to go that direction. They're no longer going to be in your fields now because you have CRP. 
So mm -hmm. they're going to be going somewhere. So let's give them a destination so we can build some consistency to that destination. Right. Mm -hmm. So then based on that, let's put a food plot on your property that kind of intercepts natural movement of the deer to go to that destination, to that big egg field. Let's get a food plot kind of between that and where you think they're betting so that they're going to hit that food plot at five. And then when it gets dark at six, then they're going to move out to that destination. Mm. So he's like, let's, and let's make sure that we build a travel route to those destination food sources for them. So like you want to, you want to give them the ability to walk off of your property at night. He's like, we don't care what they do after dark, mm -hmm. but we need them here in the daylight. Mm -hmm. So like they'll work out and then they'll come back. Um, but yeah, that was a big thing. And again, like off the CRP, like you can see on the map, like the CRP is, is gray and you can see orange deer, deer trails. And Dylan's like, yeah, once you get that CRP going and once you get the grasses in there, He's like, you would want to just like you yourself walk through the uh, walk through the CRP, do it a couple of times back and forth. And that will create a mat just enough that the deer will see that and start using it. And then they'll just make it a trail of their own. And it's and it's not like against CRP rules or anything because you can't mow it right or anything. So you have to just work through it. And so he's like, yeah, that'll it'll work. And especially if you're able to plant switchgrass in there and you can plant switchgrass kind of along those rows in some way, then that's fine. So when we talked to the guy who's running the CRP program for us, he said that, yes, we can plant switchgrass in strips. So, so we can't, it can't take over and they can't come yep. here in like three years and look at it and be like, dude, this is a switchgrass field. This is not right. This is against our contract. Um, it can't take over. So if it gets out of control, you got to kill it. But other than that, um, yeah, you can plant, plant them. And so then Dylan also suggested like, okay, if you plant that, you want to plant it in like a hashtag pattern, which would allow the deer to have multiple corners to bet on based on a wind. So if you're like crisscrossing it all through the field or whatever, and even if it's just like, three, three rows going left to right and three grow rows going up to down, you're creating a bunch of little corners for them to bet up against. Hmm. So he's like, based on the wind, they'll pick which side they want to bet against. And then they'll bet against that little side that he's like, you'll see doe, doe and fawn groups doing that all the time and that kind of stuff. Hmm. That's so, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another, that was another thing with that, um, with those trails. So definitely, yes, the, the food plots relate directly to the destination food source in the evening. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The other one, I was kind of surprised with the number of water holes. Yeah, I was too. Did he, did he talk about like how to, like, do you put, do you bury, bury like a little kiddie pool or something or like how, like, yeah, how do you do it? And then how do you accumulate and retain water in some of those spots? Yeah. So um, so our property, for everybody listening, our property runs, it looks like a T. So you enter from the from the bottom of the T and then you go up into the property and then it and then it expands left and right. 
So that's like, I mean, you could kind of say that it kind of looks more like a seven, but it's really kind of like a T is how I envision it. Um, so, and with the T, there's a creek that runs through it from left to right. So like there's water, there's plenty of water in the place. Right. You know, there's, there's plenty of water for deer. I said, why would we want to do water holes? And, and Dylan said, he goes, I hate when people say that deer are lazy because they're not, they're just really efficient. Mm-hmm. And if you want a buck to cruise this elevation on this ridge line, and he already likes it, he likes cruising down this line and he's got it and he gets thirsty and he knows there's either I can go another hundred yards and there's a water hole up there and I can eat there, or I can drop down the hill 80 yards and go out of my way. And then I got to go back up the hill 80 yards to get on my cruising route. I would rather just stay on the cruising trail and go hit the water hole that just so happens to also have a tree stand on it. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. he's like, you're going to drive them to, to they're going to think they're being more efficient and they don't have to drop down to the Creek now, but you're going to drive them to be more consistent because now they don't have to drop down to the Creek. So he's like, that's like, you have water here, but I, you certainly want water holes in here and his favorite. Well, one of Dylan's favorite water holes was midway. And it's, it's that trail that you were talking about too. Cause mm-hmm. it's, um, we have a spot on our property that we call midway it's midway down one of the ridge lines, And it's, it's a total like enigma to me. I can't like, I've put four different trail cameras in there all at one time. And the deer use the thing like it's extremely inconsistent. I have no clue where they're coming from, where they're going to, what time of day. Is it midday? Is it morning? Is it evening? It's all over the place. It, it really is this. And, and some days, like I won't get a picture in there for weeks and then I'll get pictures every day for weeks. Like it's just, it's strange. And he's like, yeah, we need to drive some consistency in here somehow. So like a mock scrape and a water hole will bring some consistency to this, to the trail that the deer want to use because if they can use a trail currently they could use you know one of four different trails and all of them are going to kind of take them to the same general area but they don't have to take one or the other but if now one has a mock scrape on it and a water hole well they're going to be more likely to take that trail so it'll drive a little bit more consistency to that spot so it should give you a little bit more odds and you know during the rut and, and pre-rut, if they're running this and they're checking, checking stuff again, it's, it's about that, that buck being efficient and being able to, if I can take four trails and one of them has a water source on it, I'm going to go to the, with the one with the water because mm-hmm. that's going to help me out. So, yeah. so yeah, that's the whole idea behind the water holes. Um, and almost all the water holes are paired with a mock scrape. So you want to have a mock scrape on it and you want to have a trail camera that catch captures the water hole and the mock scrape. So if they just, and you want to set the mock scrape up to be able to have that happen too. So if they go to hit the scrape, you're going to get them. If they go to hit the water, you're going to get them. Doesn't matter. So, um, and the water holes themselves, um, like he suggested, you could get the cat, like a cattle trough and you bury it. He's like, get a cattle trough, you bury it. And if you can bury it below grade a little bit, it'll help keep it more full. Um, and you won't have to fill it so much, but the other ones, the other there's, so like, if you can place them 
right off a field edge or right off like a four wheel trailer or something like that. He's like, that's obviously the easiest. Um, you can get a water tank for a four wheeler and just drive up to it and fill them up. He's like, that's what, that's what Jeff Sturgis does. That's what I would suggest. That's what a lot of people do is just drive up to them with a water tank and fill them up. Ideally you fill them up once and naturally they stay full. Yeah. yeah. Right. It's just that kind of initial splash that needs some help. Yep. Yeah. And he's like, and, and when you fill them um, are going to be like, you can just fill them at any time. He's like, if you're on a four wheeler and, and it's not that big of a deal. Um, But he's like, ideally you'd want to wait for a really bad weather day, super high winds, rainy, uh, anything to really disperse your scent. So then you'd want to go in there. Anything that'll keep deer movement down as well. So like, yeah, super high winds, tons of rain. Like, yeah, get in there. But you're probably not going to, you know, maybe if it's just a quick storm, then you can scoot in there and get that done quick. Um, but yeah. And the other thing I asked about um, the amount of water, you know, and he's like, I, that depends on what you can get buried and how often you want to fill it and how often they hit it and where it is. Cause like the, the water hole in the Northeast corner, yeah, we're, we're putting that there's a wash like a washout drain ditch where, yes. where, you know, the one I'm talking about. Yeah. 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 So we're putting it, the, the ditch itself is like maybe two feet wide that when it rains, it's, it's going to be full of water. It's all running downhill. And, it, and it's about two feet wide and maybe like a foot, a foot and a half deep. We talked about putting it right in that thing because it's not, it does not hold water at all unless it's raining. That's it. Um, so, so we talked about putting it right in there and Dylan's like, yeah, but dude, you get a good, you get a good rain. It'll probably wash it out. Right. Be toast. And like, you're going to come back here two months later and it's going to be gone. So there was a spot where it kind of leveled out a little bit. And it made, it made the, like the Creek a little bit wider. It wasn't such a narrow rut and he's mm-hmm. like, and he marked it on the, he, we marked it right there. And then, and um, so he goes around and he marks every, every tree that should get a tree stand has gets orange tape and every place that has a water hole or a mock scrape gets a, gets a yellow, a yellow tag. So he got a, a yellow, he wrapped a yellow one right around a tree that's like right next to it. So it's kind of like a reminder, like there should be a water hole going here. And you also have to worry about the root systems of some of the bigger trees in the area and stuff like that. So yeah, we, I mean, we planned it out, but he's like, we need one here somewhere in here. Right. Right. And again, this is that Northeast corner. Um, that's like for anybody who's ever, if you ever look at that Northeast corner, you're like, dude, this is where you kill big deer. There's like four scrapes in here. There's good cover. It opens up out of, real shit cover into like some nice open mature woods for like 50 yards. And then they got to go back into cover. So you have great opportunity in here, but there's like, I don't know, six or seven trails that these deers, these deer can use in that area um, to get from, from the West to the East, which is the Ridge that they're running. So it's, there's no pinch point there. And, and they, they, they don't have a reason to go high or go low. And if we put a water hole up higher, then we have a reason to do that. And the reason we want the tree stand up higher as well is to have more consistent winds and less access, less entrance into our property. Mm -hmm. So that was one of the other like huge points. 
like we do have a couple like centrally located stands like 11 20 and 19 that are marked here but they're 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 in the middle of the property but it's also kind of a dead zone of the property for deer movement It, it really is we have like a we we've mowed a big it's right in the heart of the property. Like pretty much if you wanted to say what's the middle of your property, that's it. And they, the previous owners had like a campsite there. So it's all, it's this little nice grassy area. It's probably probably like a half acre of grass. And so that whole area is kind of like avoided by deer really. There's, there's not a whole lot of movement through there. They, they split around the edges. So we have three stands in the heart of our property kind of around that. But other than that, everything is really like, within 50 yards of the border Mm -hmm. like everything's pretty close to like walk the edge of your property jut in 30 40 50 yards and there's your stand don't push into your property at all is really how how dylan's laid this out and he's like one of the reasons you probably are having inconsistencies with seeing a lot of deer is because you're walking through a lot of your property to get to a lot of your stands currently and we have to like whether you get access from your neighbors or you cut trails along your fence lines, whatever it is, like you can't, you, I, he's like, you got to slow down on getting into the middle of your property, hunt the edges, hunt the edges. And this, this was something that was like, Dylan, the first spot we went was spot number one, um, which is like right off a field edge. And Dylan's like, dude, have you hunted this yet? And I was like, Dude, I set a tree stand here and I never sat it. He's like, why? And I was like, because it's like 80 yards from the cabin. Like, he's like, yeah, I know. He's like, this is a great spot that's 80 yards from the cabin. And I'm like, yeah, but it's not far enough. Like I looked at Dylan, I was like, I'm a public land dude. I got to go a mile before it's good. And he's like, yeah, that's not the case anymore, man. Like, this is a phenomenal spot. You need to hunt this. Like, you have to hunt this like this is probably going to be one of the best spots on your property. So like number one and number two, he's a huge fan of And he's uh, like, yeah, he's like, you need to hunt this. And he goes, it's ridiculous that you haven't like you have to. So, um, so anyway, yeah, I mean, one of them, yeah. The other one, the number one is probably like, I don't know, maybe a hundred yards from the cabin. And number two is probably like, I don't know, 70 yards. He's like, dude, on a Friday afternoon, you get off work, you shoot down here, you got an hour left of light go sit in number two. It's right off the cabin and it's a good spot. Like yeah. certainly kill a deer there. So anyway, um, yeah, that was, that was big. And the other big thing that he really talked about a lot was if you have like, let's just, um, if you have three trails, so how would I, this is, I, I can, exp- I'll explain this to you and hopefully it, it works out for everybody else. Let me grab a, a sip of water here quick. So you always, he's, he said, you always want your, your wind blowing off the property that you're wanting to hunt. So always have your wind blowing to your neighbors, like regardless of how you enter or exit, always have your wind blowing to your neighbors and the best stands make sure that you line up your entrance with blowing to the neighbors or like you come in on a weird angle or whatever in your own property, if you don't get access from theirs, but you want to set up so that the wind's blowing towards your neighbors. Um, but like, if you have, let's just say you have 
three trails. Um, and the first one is, is 80 yards from your property line in, into your property. It's 80 yards into your property. And the next one is 65 yards into your property. And the next one is 45 yards into your property. So you got this gap from 45 yards for the, for the third trail to 80 yards, which is an additional 35 yards to the first trail. The first trail that's 80 yards in is the most traveled. It's the thickest. It's the heaviest. You're like, dude, this is, this is the trail. I'm going to scrap the other two and, and get closer to that first one that's 80 yards in so that I have a better shot on that one. And Dylan's, Dylan's like, no, absolutely not. You hunt that first trail that's 45 in from your property and you set up your tree stand at like 20 yards from that trail and you make that outside trail, the furthest outside trail, you make that one more attractive. So that they, that they quit wanting to use number one and they start using number three. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, and I, I asked him, I said, okay, so do I want to like block off number one? Do I want to like put some brush in there to like make it a little harder for them? He's like, nope, absolutely not. Don't make it harder for them. Just make this one that much better. So he's like on this outside trail, put your mock scrape, put your food plot and make the other, the, one of the biggest things that I didn't do that it's super easy to think about, like when you think about it, but I just never did was you need, you need the deer to be able to see a very clear path forward when they're walking, wherever they're going. Like you want them to look up and go, Oh, that's where I'm heading. You want the trail to be that defined that they know where they're going. And, and you don't want it to be like, oh, I got to walk around this log. I got to duck under this branch. I got to, you know, scoot around this new deadfall this year. You don't like to get, you don't want to have them have this windy zigzaggy path around all this stuff. You want to have it nice and clean and clear because when they have that, it, it breeds consistency and, and knowing where they're going, like definition. And once they have that, that that makes it easier for them it's more efficient for them and you can depend on that consistency a little bit more so he's like don't these other there's three trails that you got here and and number the stand number one right here this is a perfect example of it so all three there's three trails remember where we had your buck during the archery shoot last year yep three trails that cross the slide right from the bottom there's mm -hmm. three along the slide and we hunted the outside one and right. It's essentially right where your buck was. That's where Dylan says I should hunt. And he's like, put a water hole here and a mock scrape here and just make this trail really nice and clean. These other two trails, they're already kind of dirty. Like there's already got branches over them. They got to jump over a log. They got to squirt through here, you know, yada, yada, yada. He's like, if you just make this one nice and he, I'm talking like, two feet wide of clear, of clear travel, 50 yards from your stand and 50 yards away from your stand. That's money. He's like, they will just, they will just naturally start using it more because it's cleaner. So like if you, if, and, and as I said, so is that for like all my tree stands? And he's like, yes, it's like pretty much 
Like if you are hunting one stand with multiple trails and you want them to take that closer trail to you, just clean it up. Just like within 50 yards, he goes, you don't need to go further than that. Like you don't need to like make this thing run 200 yards from one bedding area to another. He's like, they'll, they'll figure their way out in between the two, but they'll find a way to get to the clean trail and take the clean trail versus the non-clean trail. And he said the same shit for the ditch stand. He's like, you need trails to be very well defined in here so that those deer know I'm going through here. This is where I'm headed. So he's like, that's, that's, that was probably the biggest eye opener. Cause almost, I'd say we have, we have 24 stands on here that we, that we said we'd put up. And I think one, two, I think four of them are new to me. Yeah. Other than that, all of them are, I've, I've hunted all of them other than general area at least. Yep. I've hunted. Yeah. Pretty much like within 15, 20 yards of where he's saying I should be. I've, I've hunted that. So it's not like he's pointing out a lot of new stand. Like this is a bomb spot that you really overlooked. Um, Cause most of them, his favorite spots are my favorite spots too. So he's like, these are great, but dude, like number 20, um, that was one. Uh, well, I, I want to finish this thought first. So on almost all these, these stands that I already knew were like good areas. He's like, yeah, but dude, like, uh, like number 12 is a perfect instance. It's an inside corner of an ag field and we own the woods and the ag field kind of juts down from North to South and then hangs and hangs an East corner right there. And we own the woods that's on that corner. And I've hunted that corner before and I really like it. He's like, this is a phenomenal spot. He's like, where do the deer move through here? And I'm like, dude, it's pretty random. Like they kind of bed on this bluff. They kind of bed over here. He's like, why haven't you made a path for them? It's all this prickly ash. He's like, dude, like make the trail for them. Like use like semi what's existing there, but just clean it up and they will just start running it. He's like, you need to, you need to, you need to hunt this. Like number 12 was one of his favorite spots, that inside corner. Um, and I was like, well, it doesn't, I mean, they drop down, they kind of have to drop down the cliff and go to the ditch stand from number 12. Like that's the trail. He's like, that's fine. Like clearly they're already doing it. If you just make it a little bit nicer, like, yeah, they have to jump up a freaking cliff, but like, it's like a three foot, four foot jump. He's like, but they're already doing it. And if they get up it, and there's a very easy, well-defined trail that takes them up to the food source now that's going to be there, which is a food plot, or takes them out to that egg field. It just makes it that much better. He's like, and they're, they're especially with all this prickly ash everywhere in here. And if, if you guys don't know, listening what prickly ash is, it's, uh, it's like, I don't know, like eight foot, six to eight foot tall trees that are like one inch in diameter and they're full of thorns. That's like all like, it's just prickly and they grow really, uh, really densely together. Like they'll grow within inches. So you'll have like, you'll be working through there and you'll just be getting ripped up the whole time. Mm -hmm. So, so essentially he's like, dude, just cut a lane through this prickly ash and they're like going to really start using it. And there's a ton of dead downfall up there. He's like, yeah, do not move the whole tree or anything. Don't try to cut up the whole tree. Just cut a chunk out of it. 
and let them rather than having it, he's like, dude, rather than jumping over it, they will go through the gap. So, but when you do that, the other thing he said, when you do that, you cannot make like, um, you can't make it feel like congested, like it's a tunnel and they're stuck in it. You can't, you ha- it has to stay like semi open. So when you cut away the prickly ash, don't just pile it along the sides. And now they're in like, you know, this, this cavern or whatever, this tunnel, you have to move it out. You have to move it away. So they feel like they can still escape at any time. Said that's one of the biggest problems. A lot of people have with clearing food plots is they'll clear food plots and they'll just push it all to a side. He's like, the deer will get on that and they'll, they won't get into it until dark because they feel like they're going into a tunnel and they're stuck in a box. Yeah. So yeah, that was, that was that, that clear trailing portion was probably the biggest eye opener for me, um, for, for like things that I could have easily done myself that I just way overlooked. Cause I always just hunted like the natural trail that existed there. Right. You're just like, okay, well, you know, and he was like, dude, make it, make it a little bit nicer. And he said only again, only within 50 yards of your stand and where you really want them to move. Um, Unless there's like, so the knob, that is one of the areas where we we would make a longer a longer trail. So from yeah. 17 to 19. Yep. So that's probably like walking. That is probably I don't know, maybe 100 yards, 110 yards, or something like that. Um, but it would be a trail. So the what we call the knob for everybody listening is like a point. It's a point that juts out through the in the it comes into the property it's a point that comes into the property and it's got like literally a sheer cliff on one side that drops like 20 to 25 feet and then and then on the that's on the south side of it and then on the north side it kind of slow rolls it's steep but it's slow rolls not a cliff down into another valley that they can then get up into a food source on the other side so they get onto the knob and the the spot that has the sheer cliff that's like 20 feet straight down that there are a couple spots where I can climb up the rocks. Like I can kind of billy goat my way up these rocks. And he's like, dude, you need to billy goat up these rocks and get in a tree. That's right on the edge of, of those rocks. So you take like three steps out onto the knob and then you're up in your tree. He's like, and then from there you need to cut, there's already a trail, but for whatever reason, they really like using um, the, the lowest side of that knob, which is closest to the cliff. They really like being within 20 to 30 yards of that edge of the cliff. So there's, there's already trails there, but there's a lot of down trees. There's a lot of zigzagging. There's a lot of multiflower rose patches that they have to go around. He's like, just cut, cut trails through that. And they will like, that'll be a phenomenal running path for bucks during the rut. He's like, they can run that bottom edge. And if you have a North wind, it's going to be coming down off the top of that knob where all that bedding is. And they'll just run the bottom side of that and they'll smell everything coming down to them. And they'll just work their way right along that whole thing. He's like, it'll be a great spot. And it already is. It's already one of my favorite spots on the property. Um, But he's like, if you define that trail, it'll make it even better. So yeah, that was, that was one of the other pieces. Any what else anything else that you're curious about i have a couple other things i can mention but 
No, I mean, just thinking about it, like the nice, like when you think of like property improvement, right? Like it can seem so daunting and like such a huge hurdle just to like get started, right? But like, I mean, the two things that we've kind of focused on here is like water holes and trails, right? Basically, you need a saw and a shovel and some time. Yeah. Like nothing you know it's not like you get a, a report back that's like oh yeah you need to hire a guy with a bulldozer and you gotta clear out 10 acres here and 10 acres over here and you know it's like it's very doable i mean there's obviously some food plots on here that like would need some some machinery but you could do those at you know any point in the next 10 years potentially right like this year still, you could easily knock out at least some of these water holes and a lot of these trails, especially if you're only doing 50 to 100 yard sections of these trails near the tree stands. Yeah. Like a chainsaw, you mean you could theoretically you could do it with a handsaw, right? But a chainsaw and a shovel is going to go a really long ways. Mm hmm. Yeah, he said one of the, he's like, you don't even need a lot of this stuff. You don't even need a chainsaw. You need one of those Milwaukee, just a Milwaukee yeah. electric handsaw. And he's like, yeah. dude, you can, you can get one of those 50 yard trails done to one side in like 10 minutes. And you just, yeah. doo -doo, and then you go to the exactly. other. Exactly. I mean, the trails yeah. should already exist, right? You're just cleaning them up. Yep. It's like basically cleaning up a trail to walk into your tree stand. Yep. Pretty much. And that was another point I said, what do you think about that? Cause I was like, Sometimes I've cleared out trails like we did on the knob that one time and all of a sudden the deer started taking and he goes, and Dylan just laughs. He goes, so you've already proven my point like two years ago and you still haven't done it. <laughs> and I was like, I was like, don't, you don't need to be like that, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's, he said, yeah, I mean, that's, that's certainly a possibility. Like if you're cleaning out trails to your tree stands, um, it's certainly possible that they can take it. But the thing is, is you just want, you want to make sure you want to, you want that trail to like kind of dead end at your tree, like, cause then they might not, that gives them less of a chance. But I will say like, to your point, a lot of this stuff we've talked about is, is simpler. I asked him like, number one priority, what's your first thing you're doing here? And he said, I'm taking, I'm doing that middle food plot. The, the, the one closest to the cabin, that's one, three and two, just under one acre. He's like, I'm, I'm cleaning. That's bar none. Like if you don't do anything else, do the food plot this year, because the food plot is going to drive them to come to your property. He's like the trails and everything, all that cleaning up, it will be great. But again, to, it was to my goal, to your goal of holding deer, the food plot is, will help hold deer more than anything. Um, the trails will be great during the rut and all that, but you're not, that's not like an early season kill. Right. What did he recommend for food sources? Uh, it's yeah, he did a, he did a nice little write up. It is a mix of tillage, radish, oats, and peas. For all of them or just, okay. So that was a great question. Great question there too all of them because you don't want the deer liking one thing more than another and then going somewhere else and being inconsistent. He's like, people do that all the time. They'll plant like 
radishes here and and some brassica some other brassica mix over there and some clover over here and they'll want to <laughs> like time it out throughout the year to to like have them hit these different food plots he's like but you're changing you're you're varying their movements like you're making them you're you're asking them to be more inconsistent so like they want to go over here in the early season then they want to go over here in the mid season they want to go over here in the late season he said for starting out here just have it all be the same like mm -hmm. oats peas and tillage radish you're going to have a great mix for the entire season they'll hit it the entire season if you really want to like throw something in there like late season throw on some rye so that you even get some more green up like in the late late season as that as that starts to, to go but he's like yeah you want the same thing everywhere for and in the recommendation that says for at least the first two years and after that it said that you could split the fields you're not you would split the same field and half the field would yep. be a brassica and half the field would be a clover or something like that he's like you don't want them you don't want them using the northwest corner of the property in the early season and the south southeast in the late season and in the middle of the season, like going to the center of the property. Like you don't want that. That's good advice. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I asked. Yeah. That was a great point. Um, so, and he likes, he likes the food plot. Two of the food plot locations are one of them's already cleared out or mainly cleared. And that's the Southeast one, that little guy over in the pines where the elk was. Um, and then the other, yeah, I mean, the other three are going to, yeah, they're all, they all need equipment and a lot of, a lot of time. So I think one of them would take me like a week to do probably um, maybe a few days if I had a couple guys and um, some machinery. So I have, <clears throat> My dad's got a couple of buddies with some machinery. So hopefully we can, I can con them into bush light them into, into helping me out um, for a weekend or something like that. Um, yeah. But the other big, the other big piece was switchgrass. Um, mm -hmm. We already talked about that a little bit, but um, switchgrass to cover, to cover your, your own personal activity. So this property is a recreational property first and a hunting property second. It's a recreational property for the family. Um, so all summer, like people will be out there riding four wheelers, all that jazz. He's like, that's totally cool. Um, but you want to plant switchgrass along these field edges that can see your cabin. So, you know, you get a field edge um, and the deer can be like 20 yards into the woods and look over and see the cabin and see people. He's like, you don't, you don't want that. You want the switchgrass. You want like 10 to 20 feet of switchgrass in there. So it gives them a more secure feeling so they can walk through there. They're not going to be able to directly see you and they can bed in there. Now they can then bed in there and they would feel more safe because they're not looking directly across at you. Cause if they feel they're looking directly across at you, they all probably also feel you can look directly across and see them. So He's like plant switchgrass all along this field edge, um, plant switchgrass along these pines right behind the cabin. And then the other big one was the power line cut. So we have a yeah. power line cut that goes through the property. He wants, I, the, one of the biggest problems I have with hunting the inner portions of our property, um, which I said, like we have three stands at the heart of our property. 
um, through that grassy area is because when I go into the power line cut there, I always feel like there are deer in that, that power line cut. There's just grass in there. And I will get like, I, if I'm hunting there for a week during the pre-rut, probably three or four of those mornings, I'll get blown out by deer that are in that power line cut and they'll just blow the whole way through the property. And it's like, that sucks. It's annoying and it sucks. It, it hasn't really like drastically changed my hunting because we do have a lot of coyotes and I do hear the, I do hear does randomly blow all the time in there. I, well, not all the time, but at least, you know, if I'm hunting for a week, I'll hear it a, a couple of times where it's like, what the hell is that deer blowing at? And I've seen them blow at nothing. Like I've watched them blow and then look behind them towards nothing. And then like, kind of just like, Oh, okay. I guess I didn't need to blow and then just wander off. Like, so it's not like them blowing is, is killing everything, but I just, I hate it. And I want a better access to not be seen. So the power line cut, he suggested planting in a lot of switchgrass so that, and it's not going to cover my sound, but it's going to cover a lot of my movement. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I can walk through there and, and not have an issue. Yeah. So <clears throat> yeah. What's your, what are you going to do this year? <laughs> so yeah, that's a great question. Um, well, I'm not going to hang 24 tree stands. I'll tell you that I don't have 24 tree stands. Um, so I've been, I've been doing a ton of mobile hunting and I have that out on a limb set with the Shakar sticks, which is also out on the limb. And I really like that setup. Um, now I just bought the lone wolf custom gear setup. So I still like packing that in and out because I mean, we marked all these trees, all 24 of them have orange ribbon on them. So we've looked at all of them, but we didn't get up in all of them. So that's going to be somewhere I'm going to make sure that I have everything picked out that I want. And if I really like everything, then I'll start setting some more permanents around. But for the most part, I'm not going to set all those. I'm going to try to get. So do you remember Grant Oldenburg from Platteville? Yeah. Yeah. So Grant hit me up the other day, not the other day, like, I don't know, like five, six months ago, he wanted to plant some water holes and his property. So he bought, he got a discount. If he bought 10, he needed two. <laughs> so he, he had a huge discount and now he's, he's like, Hey dude, when you need to buy them, hit me up. So I'll hit him up for a few of those water holes. I think they're like 50 gallon, 50 gallon plastic tubs, kind of like what we used to throw carp in um, the big wide ones, right? Like cattle trough kind of type thing. Um, so I'll probably throw in three or four of those. I haven't, picked which ones exactly yet maybe i'll get all of them um but they're just a few of them are in pretty remote spots it'll be hard to harder harder to get machinery in i mean if we're gonna like four wheel in there and then shovel it out i mean that'll probably take some time but yeah i don't know i don't know i haven't put time to that um the the, the thing that i'm most worried about is just getting the one acre food plot in that's the one that's closer to the cabin the there's one other food plot that's on there's well there's four food plots in total one of them is really small it's like a quarter acre and that one's almost done already then there's another one that's also maybe a little bit bigger than a quarter acre um that's on the east side of the property and that one um that one 
I want to get to, but it's not as high priority as the one that's in like, I don't know how to, how to, I don't know how to explain the location of that one to people listening. Like the, yeah, the one where we want to plant, that's like a one acre. Um, it's like 80. No, it's probably like 150 yards out the back door of the cabin, but it's, it's down. It's over the ledge of a hill. So you can't like see it from the cabin at all. Um, and that would be, that would give us the ability to drive deer up the, we have, we own a big Valley and they, then they bed kind of in the bottoms around the opposite hillside on the North Hill side. And we want to draw them out of the bottoms and up to the tops where we can hunt them. So that would give us the ability to hunt these deer up on the tops closer to the cabin, um, and pull them out of the bottom at an earlier time of day. So that's, that's probably number one. And I think that one's the most viable because it's about an acre. It's all currently wooded, but a ton of those woods, a ton of those trees are dead. A ton of them, um, probably like 60 to 70% of them are already dead. And there's a lot of really small, um, small twigs and stuff in there. We can cut up a few trees and, and, and make a sizable dent in, in, in that area. So I think that one's, and it's in the worst shape. Um, because it's just, it, like I said, it's just full of dead trees. Uh, like 12 years ago, 13 years ago, a tornado came through the property and this was one of the areas that it hit. And so there's a ton of trees that are just, they're just dead from this tornado. The tops were snapped and they just haven't ever been removed or they've fallen over and they're just laying there on the ground. So a lot of that stuff can be, can be cut up pretty quick. Um, and not have a huge impact. We have one other pro on one other food plot on the North side, we call it the pie slice. Um, cause it's kind of like a ledge that's in the shape of a triangle. And once you get up on top of the ledge, it's a really good like deer habitat area, but there's only a couple ways you can get up to the ledge. So there's some great pinch points there. And that food plot is all it's in mature, mature walnuts and mature oaks. Um, it's pretty, it's the mature oaks. Like we're talking like hundred, hundred plus years old, um, 80 year old walnuts, you know, real big, big walnuts. Um, like few of them, I can't get my arms around. So, and I'm six, I'm six too. So, I mean, they're good size trees, certainly not trees. We're going to cut down willy nilly. They are thousands of thousands of dollars worth of trees. So that stuff I asked Dylan, I said, do I need to, um, like cut these down in order to have a food plot in here. And he said, no, no. He's like, walnuts really honestly don't get that thick. It's not like a giant oak or a giant maple that'll really flower out and leaf out and cover a ton of ground. He's like, walnuts aren't, aren't like that. And, and I mean, it's true. Like they really don't have a whole lot of branches on them. He's like, that won't provide enough shade to kill a food plot. You'll just want to make sure that like, Anything that's like half dead or invasive that you can, that you can take out, take it out. Um, even like some of the bigger maples in here, like, yeah, you probably want to drop a few of those. Um, but leave the walnuts, leave the oaks and just take care of all this. Again, it's, it's all that prickly ash. Um, some like, I don't know, it seems like dogwood, but it's not, it's just like, I don't know, a bush that's all sticks. I, my, my actual forestry knowledge is so poor that I really need to actually up my game and my woodsmanship. 
but um but yeah clearing out a ton of and it's a lot of uh yeah and it's a lot of prickly ash multiflower rose just like shrubs and things like that so cleaning all that out um and then putting a plot in there is is one of the options it just be it's it wouldn't be an easy to do plot you'd have to do it with a four-wheeler and, and a something on the back of a four-wheeler and you probably want to till it up and you're going to hand spread it for sure. And you're going to have to work around all these trees and everything. But I still think like, I'm not concerned because it's going to be a beautiful freaking plot when that thing's finally done. But I don't think that one's going to make the cut this year. I don't, it depends on how easy or how difficult the first one is. <laughs> I'd say that. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah. So that'd be the, that'd be the plan. Um, and if you make the archery shoot on June 11th, uh, you will see this plan. I will put this plan up for everybody to look at and everybody to comment on and everything at, at the archery shoot. Um, I talked to Dylan about coming and talking about this, but he can't, he's got a, he's got a fundraiser that he's got to be at that day. Um, he's kind of, he was like, man, I'd really like to be at this at the archery shoot. I I've never really done an archery shoot. This would be a fun one. Cause I know you, I know the people, um, that would be there and stuff. It'd be a good time. But, uh, but yeah, I can't, I can't make it, but I will do my, but I'll put this thing up and people can look at it and see it and see the plan and everything and ask questions and we can talk about whatever, whatever people want. So another reason to come to the archery shoot. <laughs> um, but yeah, other, um, yeah, other than that, the other one that he, he really liked a lot again was he, he mentioned switchgrass a lot um, in covering covering your entry and exit to your tree stands and covering up food plots too. So that like, like the east food plot there, you can see there's a pretty thick switchgrass on the east side of that little food plot. It's like a third of an acre. Um, and of that third, like, I don't know, a quarter of it is switchgrass, but it's to cover up that's one of our main four wheel trails. It's on the edge of one of our main four wheel trails and access points to the entire property. So he's like, yeah, we can just, you know, make sure the four wheel trail is clean. You're not breaking branches and sticks and everything like that. And just put switchgrass along the line and make sure you're only coming in and out of here on a West wind so that your, your sense never blowing into that little food plot there. But he's like, that food plot will, will be a great, a great hunt for, you know, again, it's a small, small plot. It's like one of the first spots out of a bedding area can pull them right up. Great, great for a, a last minute or even a, or even, you know, a good spot for cameras and early season and all that jazz. So, yep. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's the main one. I mean, I will for sure. I'm going to do the trail trail cleanings. I'm going to yeah. do the food plot and the trail cleanings. Those are the trail cleanings are the most like uh, openly available options. Right. Right. The easiest to do that it will make a, a majorly significant impact. Um, but other than that, um, the water holes and the food plots. But I, I, yeah, I said, which, which stands would you prioritize and which, um, which food, which, what other improvements would you prioritize? And he's like, well, food plots, number one. And then he, his favorite stand is number, uh, number 20, number 15 and number 19. So, oh, oh, 
Yeah, he likes that. That I mean, that's all kind of centered around the knob. Um, and he did like, he did like. Uh, well, I mean, he liked a lot of the stands, but he also likes number ten, which is a stand that he that I never had hunted before. I had like, so this is one thing that's a little bit different. And then we can sign off because we've been on for almost two hours. Um, <laughs> so the the other the other thing that I had like a sanctuary on the property, which was like kind of our northeast hillside probably like i don't know maybe 15 to 20 acres in total and it's just an area that there is no four-wheel trail there's no walking trail there's no tree stands there's nothing there so i just like kind of deemed it and it's pretty thick in there so i was just like that's a bedding area we're just not going to go in there um and dylan was like no let's put us let's put a stand in here he's like this isn't this isn't like um sanctuary enough to really that you don't need to if you put a stand in here and you hunt it like twice a year or three times a year he's like it's not that's not going to make an impact um so so he does have like and and it's it's that you you've seen the spot multiple times and you really like the spot too it's where it it's really thick and all through there it's kind of nasty and then it opens up for like 20 yards and then it gets nasty again He's like, you need to stand in that 20 yard gap that's open because you can see all the way down to the creek, even though it's like 80, 90 yards, you can see every deer that passed through there. And again, there's a trail at like 25 yards that you can clean up and it would really highlight that area. So he's like, don't leave that alone. Get in there and just again, hunt. It's a south entry You or, you, or it's a north entry. You enter from the north and you need a south wind and you go into the property 50 yards and then you set up and you're looking back into your property. So, and you're in the open area. So it's not like you're going to be bumping deer. Like, especially if you clean the trail out to get to there, you're not going to be bumping deer out of the beds because you're just going to slip in there on a South wind and, and you'll be fine. So no issues there. The other one that he actually really liked was the spring number nine. Um, oh, which is by that like apple tree thing there like that the spring that's right yeah, there yeah, yeah. that there's okay. that spruce there's that like cedar yeah. right on it he's like yeah where i found the splitting the splitting mall yes yep right where you found that yeah found a splitting mall in the middle of the woods that's been there forever it was still on the four-wheel trail and rod nor i had picked it up yet <laughs> but yeah right there he's like you know how um you know how where you found that buck bed last year was kind of like up yeah. from the spring a little bit and the trail to get from the east fence line that we came in on um, to there, like you go around that little point in the knot in that little point down low, and then you uh, then you got a kind of bust brush across that rocky creek ditch or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's not really a great trail across there. And then you kind of find a trail. He's like, yeah. he's like, sit in that spruce tree and clean up the trail on that hill make the trail on that hill fucking nice and clean he goes because literally like look at this like he's like they are dropping down to the creek they're running the ridge line and then because there's no trail that connects point a to point b they're dropping down to the creek going around the spruce the spruce tree and then working their way back up the ridge and then working east he's like if you just connect those two points they're gonna naturally take it and that mm -hmm. spruce tree right on the spring, which is going to be a beautiful tree stand as it is, is going to, it's like 15 yards from that trail. 
that you would then create and they would just naturally take it and you could hunt that with a with a west wind or a northwest wind and just shoot your scent right down the valley and they would stay up high the whole way and you wouldn't have you shouldn't have any issue he's like this is like a no-brainer dude you need to clean this is an awesome spot he's like it's cool and just looking at it it's just cool right, right. And he's like it'll be a fun tree to sit in because it's cool but other than that, like, I mean, you clean up this trail and you will get deer movement through here for sure. So, and it's probably, I don't know how far, maybe like 60 yards from that buck bed that you found. So yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe even less. He's like, yeah. so yeah, I mean, you clean out a nice trail. That's one of the ones where I was like, but if I clean out a trail to get to that tree, then the deer are going to start using it. Right. And he was like, yeah, that's just, it's just going to be what it is. He's like, yeah, they will. <laughs> there's nothing nothing you can do about it yeah no i like it yep all right cool well any other any other final thoughts questions on turkeys or on this at all i mean for sake of time no <laughs> <laughs> all right perfect well thank you everybody for listening um again yeah we, this, is, this is almost a two-hour podcast parker and i were hoping to do this in an hour so we we really knocked this one out of the park um so yeah thank you everybody for listening really appreciate really appreciate the time um if you want to come to the archer shoot again hit me up on instagram or on um i have a tiktok instagram i have a facebook or you can go to um send me an email at heller a90 at gmail.com again it's in the show notes Thank you for popping on. Parker has no social media presence or anything like that. So he doesn't care for any credibility besides don't hunt in Wisconsin. That's Parker's yeah. request. Illinois is way better. Yep. So much better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you everybody for listening. Have a great evening or day. I don't know when you're listening to this. Have a great day. <laughs> Bye. Yeah.